Guide us, O God, by your word and the Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Shall we take the Old Testament reading? Psalm 133, the whole chapter. Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down upon the beard, upon the beard of Aaron, running down on the color of his robes. It is like the dew of Hammon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessings, life forevermore. Amen. Our second reading, the New Testament reading for this morning, comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean? But when he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth, he who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by every ligament with which it is equipped as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of our Lord. Recently, this past year, I've been part of the Dismantling Racism Purpose Group, 
And we finished, uh, not too long ago, what still feels like a first draft of our Bible study curriculum that was made available to churches in our presbytery. It's a collaborative work that we have been putting together over the past few months as a way for churches to begin the work of engaging with racism and, as the name of the purpose group suggests, to commit to dismantle the racism that is present in our world. Well, the purpose group has been a blessing to me personally, as it has given me the excuse to pair with some really amazing people in the past year in our efforts in the curriculum and at building the retreat that happened just recently in January at Church Hill, and in just sitting and talking together about how to make the space available to our own churches and to others in the presbytery to begin to continue along this good path. The most enlightening and encouraging thing came when we had an interest lunch this past fall for all the churches who felt like they were getting ready or nearing the point or wanting to approach this issue with the curriculum we were designing and our help, we developed in that place a kind of talking group. There was about 14 or 15, 16 people or so representing almost a dozen or more churches What happened was very much like the courageous conversation that our church experienced just this last week. That is to say that there was a large group of people there from many different backgrounds, all along a spectrum of understanding, sharing bravely what it was that they or their church believed. Much like the experiences that I've had in Richmond's Coming to the Table group, it seemed just good To be in that space where voices about where our churches were could share openly. Just like our conversation last week with Alan Hilton in the Courageous Conversations, the purpose of this was not to condemn one another or solve the issue, but just to hear each other, and through that, to listen for what the Spirit had to say to the church, right? That was... That was Alan's key phrase that we repeated as we were listening together last week. There have been a few churches who sent folks in particular who were uh, deeply appreciative of that time. They they came up to uh, me and some of the other leaders uh, of the Purpose Group to specifically say how appreciative they were. And it wasn't just to talk together or to hear the voices of others from whom they do not normally hear, perhaps, but also just to know that they were not alone in the work of finding or being on this path. That was important because we spend a lot of time alone, or we certainly can, There's a book called Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal by Ben Sass uh, that talks a lot about being alone. And if that sounds familiar, it's because Alan mentioned it last week. So Uh, (laughs) rush out and buy it. If that sounds um, interesting, it it is. It's a fascinating book and it's not necessarily a a clerical book, but it it does run a lot of sociological research on the state of where we are as a nation. 
It talks a little bit about the heat wave in 1995 that Chicago experienced. I don't know if any of you remember that. It was pretty, pretty bad. There were 739 people that died in that one week because of the heat. So many people ran their AC units in the city of Chicago to beat this 120 degree heat index that the city's power grid shut off. So without access to cool air, hundreds died. And it was such a divergence from their normal mortality rate that the morgues in the city had to rent refrigeration trucks to handle the bodies. Now, in the book, there was a sociologist mentioned, uh, Eric Kleinberg, who took five years, it wasn't until 2000 that he published his findings, about what was going on. Because there was a statistic that didn't make sense, and it was that the death toll aligned itself along neighborhood lines. That is, some neighborhoods fared better, and some neighborhoods fared worse in regard to how many people died in the city. Through this study, what Eric Kleinenberg found was that the neighbors who knew each other, the neighbors who knew who was old, who was sick, who was alone, fared better as a neighborhood. Then in the other neighborhoods who were full of more solitary people or had solitary residents or whose neighborhoods had been abandoned by social services or ways that the neighborhood could interact with itself, those places fared much worse. In some cases, it took weeks to find the bodies of people that had passed away. Now, reading from Psalms this morning says, at the very beginning, how good and pleasant it is to dwell together in unity. When we are alone, we die. We suffer. Isolation turns something that is dangerous into something that can be deadly. And we can isolate alone by ourselves or even in small pods, but the result is much the same. There is suffering there and fear as opposed to goodness and pleasantness. Now we know, we know, we have this sense that isolation isn't good for us, but there are all kinds of isolation that we can experience nonetheless. In this whole letter of uh, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, Paul's become inflamed by the Spirit to write out why and how the breaking of the church into tribes or isolated communities within the church are inherently against the gospel that Jesus came to bring. That further, even if they were unified as a whole complete church, any segregation from the rest of the community would still be against the purpose of a real disciple of Christ. And the very first verse of chapter 4 that we read Some translations will say, live a life, which is what we read this morning. And others will say, walk. Which I kind of like better, because it's a more literal translation of the Greek word. And also because the intention of the Greek is that it's the kind of walk that you take 
or that you are continually on in order to live. It's the walk that carries you through every part of your life. Your walk to the grocery, your walk to school, to the workplace, to your home. Essentially, it is everywhere that your feet take you. And that is where Paul is begging the church to go and be in the way that is intended for them to be by God. As a community, as a fellowship. Further described in the following verses before Paul begins again and reminds the church, you are one. Your one calling which brings us together, one Lord, faith and baptism within our faith, and further, one God of all creation. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this to the church of several thousand years ago, and it inspires us to listen today. It is no more or less true for all the intermittent time And it matches for Paul the Hebrew understanding that he has as a good Jewish person of the goodness of unity that we hear the psalmist say. How good it is to be cared for by neighbor. How pleasant to be one in unity together. It's an inherent good. It is the life that God intends from the first moments of creation as we know that two were created when just one wouldn't suffice. And it is the life that God means for us to have at the end of all things when we read about the holy city in the book of Revelation. The holy cities whose gates are never shut, which practices the radical openness of God meant for the whole of the world. Anything that creates a disunity is then sin, and the wages of sin, as we know, are death. Again, from the reading from Ben Sass's book, Them, what do you think, as I said, a lot of this research came from 2016, what do you think the biggest killers in 2016 were outside of heart disease and cancer, which we can't ever seem to shake, Does anyone want to guess? Write it down on a slip of paper before I tell you. There were three things. Alzheimer's, suicides, and unintentional injuries. A category which makes the list because it includes drug overdose. Drug overdoses at the time were almost twice the number of car accidents per year, which was the long title holder as our biggest killer. In 2019, the numbers of these types of death have gone up. They lost their top spot, but they're still in the top 10. In 2016, the number of suicides has hit a 30-year high, a trend which has continued. The author's point is that we are dying, literally dying of despair and isolation This separateness that we feel, this separateness that we express, which we sometimes do purposefully and sometimes incidentally reinforcing it, is killing us on a national level. Yet how good and pleasant it is to dwell together in unity. 
Now, in our conversations that we've had with, with a lot of other churches in the Presbytery and, and, and a lot of other uh, voices that we've listened to, there are folks who don't think that church is the proper place to talk about racism. And that's okay. And maybe it comes out of uh, the knowledge of how Scripture was perverted and twisted so many years ago to support the sin of chattel slavery in this very city. But I think it bears a place in our meditation today, especially on these verses, as we read them 400 years past those dark and perverse days of slavery. Perhaps we're afraid of the word racism. It has such a large load of baggage that we're afraid we cannot bear it or approach it. And yet it is important for us as the church, it's important, as people who are on this walk in our lives, as people whose walk takes them on this street and in this capital. All the places that our feet carry us in our life are in desperate need of the unity of Christ that we are meant to experience. We are in need of this imperative of the gospel and of this revelation of God's intention for the whole world. So we must continue to talk about it, no matter what our fear or trepidation, and we must trust God's Spirit as it reaches across the different backgrounds and educations that we share. We are built as the body of Christ, and we need to trust that the body is going to create new connective tissue New sinews, as Paul says, across cultural distinctions and all the contrasting kinds of trauma that we have experienced. And this isn't a smoothing over of all our edges into some homogeneous soup of Christianity. This is an individually gifted, many-parted body, multifaceted, faithful kind of unity. One faith, one baptism, one Lord, one bread, one body, one cup of blessing. And within that, all of the beautiful, diverse pieces of the whole bearing one another in love. How good and pleasant it is. Coming to the table, a group I mentioned before, is a gathering group. If you haven't heard of it, it's based on a Quaker model of coming together. It feels very much like our courageous conversations, uh, for those of you that were able to experience that last Sunday. The intent is to bring people together across the spectrum and experience of race, to have them talk, to make mistakes, to eat with each other, There are some guidelines to keep things loving, and there's usually a facilitator. And the purpose, again, is not to solve or fix anything or anyone, but to share and listen and hear. And the thing I hear most often there and in some of our other presbytery conversations that we've had with other churches has been the same Peace, the same phrase, and it is this I never knew. I never knew. Someone would share their experience or their hurt or their intention, and people of every color, 
all along the wide berth of understanding would all say the same things. I never knew. Racism is one of the opposing forces that runs counter to God's will of unity and wholeness for the world. If we don't keep talking about it, if we don't keep hearing experiences, sharing our hurt, exposing our ignorances, then we will only live in the world of, I never knew. When we speak the truth in love, Paul says that we grow into our true maturity as Christians. When we hear one another, when we listen, we become the real church with Christ at our head. And I never knew can become the door chime of maturity coming to visit. For Paul, what is the alternative to speaking our truth to one another in love? He says it later in the same chapter. Dark understanding, separated living, impurity and greed. There was a book written by an African-American anthropologist and author, Zora Hurston, who says, There is no agony like the bearing of an untold story inside of you. It sounds like Paul would agree. Speaking to one another, letting those stories out, telling the truths that we have in love and even hearing them in love, or living in agony and isolation, that is what is at stake for the church and the world Living into our roles as people who are committed to dismantling the racism that can separate us sets us on the path of unity that has been so long divided by social institutions and still is. The church even still suffers from self-inflicted wounds that broke communities into pieces and systematically established the walls and chasms that separate us in this city ideologically and physically. In the midst of this reality, Paul brings us hope. The psalmist reminds us of how good it can be The blessing of unity has been commanded by God and it is like cool dew in Psalms. It is like cool dew on a hot and dry mountain. It is like a soothing oil on the places of our bodies that have been worn and withered from the sun and our labors. It is so good and pleasant. It is what the church is meant to be when it grows up. It is how we live every part of our lives, each section of our walk. It is the fullness of what we were created and gifted and called to be. And I'm so proud of Grace Covenant as a church and of our folks who are on that path walking it in their lives, already answering part of the fullness of the call. We know that we have been on the path, not finished with the work, but have been on the path with one another when the church 
reaches out to each other and listens and speaks in love, when we have more of these courageous conversations, as we continue to care for one another, to know one another, to check in on one another, to speak out our truth in love. And we have already been on the path outside of our church family, as even this week we're hosting Caritas. We're using the blessing of our endowment funds to aid our local communities, to continue our deep relationship with Shalom Farms, and to build our community out in ever-widening circles to the city and the world. I know we will continue to confront racism and division wherever they lie, because it is against God and the work the hard work of unity that God means for the church to dwell within. And I know we will continue on this path together because it is so good and pleasant to do so. Amen.